Welcome to another episode of Makers Weekly. This is such an interesting episode as we sit down with founder Zach Abbott to talk about the chemistry of The Hangover and how his new product, Z-Biotics, a genetically engineered probiotic, may be able to help us with this age-old problem. We get into the weeds and the science of how genetically modified solutions may be looked at as a bad thing, but they shouldn't be. So without further ado, let's welcome founder and scientist Zach Abbott. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, really looking forward to hearing about what you're working on. Can you tell us about Zbiotics? Yeah, Zbiotics basically is a beverage, a small uh, liquid shot that you take before or during drinking, and it uh, has a genetically engineered probiotic that helps break down the toxic byproduct uh, of drinking alcohol called acetaldehyde. So ideally, you wake up the next day and you don't feel miserable. So there were a couple terms in there that I don't think the average listener could understand. Do you mind breaking down a little bit about the genetically modified component and maybe some of the technology and chemistry behind the product? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's kind of the heart of what the product is. Um, unlike kind of some other stuff that's out there that's just sort of random vitamins and plant extracts, you know, we started with a problem and we built a specific solution. Um, and so when you drink alcohol, basically your body uh, breaks that alcohol down um, in two steps from alcohol to acetaldehyde and then from acetaldehyde to acetate. Um, and so that intermediary acetaldehyde is a known carcinogen. It's 50 times worse for you than alcohol itself. Um, your liver usually does a pretty good job of breaking that down, but uh, actually a lot of acetaldehyde is formed in your gut. Uh, where your liver doesn't have access to it right away. Um, and so the idea was that we wanted to make a probiotic bacteria able to essentially do what your liver does in your bloodstream, but do that in your gut. Um, so we engineered the bacteria to express an enzyme similar to the one your liver already uses. Um, so the idea is you eat the bacteria, it goes in your gut, and it basically makes the, a very similar enzyme to the one your liver does to remove acetaldehyde where it's being formed in your gut. This sounds like an amazing technology, and I want to get into the details a little bit further. But before we do, how did you get into this universe? Like, what made you think, I'm going to figure out how to create a, a new genetically modified uh, probiotic? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, the story of kind of starting the company is pretty similar to what, you know, probably most people have. I had friends, they started a company. They got into YC and um, uh, Y Combinator, and then you know they told me I should apply, and I did, and that's kind of how I got started. But I think the more interesting question is how I I came across the idea, which was so you did get into Y Combinator. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, that's that's how the the business got started. I essentially applied with just the idea for this um, to Y Combinator, and and uh, uh, got into that, and that that's kind of how I got started from zero to one. Um, um, but yeah, I mean the idea for it came probably. 10 years before that, honestly, it was before I even, uh, I went to Michigan for my PhD, but before even doing that, I was working as a research assistant in a an HIV lab at UC Davis. And I saw this like really amazing talk one day at a lunchtime seminar. Um, and this guy had this protein that could completely inhibit HIV infection in these cells. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, I still get chills just talking about it now. Um, and so I went up to the guy afterwards and I was like, hey, that's so great. Like, you know, you're, are you developing this into a drug, you know, for, for everybody? And he was like, no, 
like he almost like laughed. He was like, no, like it's a protein. Um, they're very hard to deliver. This is just a research tool. And I was like, that's crazy that like there's this amazing class of drugs essentially that are really logistically difficult to deliver and they're expensive. And I thought like there has to be a good way to do this to solve that problem. Um, and it's really just that protein drugs uh, as opposed to small molecule drugs are really complex and they're really expensive to make and they're really hard to deliver. And currently um, there are protein drugs on the market, but they're really reserved for like cancer and you know severe autoimmune diseases and things like that where people have no better option and they have to inject them and they're thousands of dollars a dose. Um, and so I, I thought like if I could make a probiotic bacteria that you already eat every day, essentially turn that into a protein drug factory um, that that worked inside your body, you could orally deliver these drug these protein drugs for much cheaper. And so that was kind of like the high level idea was it like somehow harness probiotics to deliver this like really cool class of drug. Um, and initially it was like all over the place. I had a bunch of different ideas, but um, you know, once I applied to Y Combinator, I come down to kind of the idea of, of dealing with some of the morning after effects of drinking. Cause I thought that that was like a really cool starting place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that that's a, a great application and something where this technical uh, solution can be can be talked about, like a messaging that everyone can recognize. Um, can you talk about how you navigated, you know, some of the some of the FDA and some of the testing requirements, like some of the things that people might not think about behind the scenes that are required to bring a supplement like this to market? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, we, this is the world's first ever um, genetically engineered probiotic. Um, and so because of that, um, you know, we wanted to be very cognizant of you know safety um, and make sure that we work with the FDA to satisfy you know all, all their safety concerns and things like that that they may arise with any pro any new product. Essentially, we're we're bringing to market a new ingredient, uh, and and because of that, we have to demonstrate that it's safe. And so we really went above and beyond uh, in terms of all the safety testing we did uh, to ensure that the product was um, safe. Um, not only from the standpoint of like the technology, but also the way we manufacture it and the way we bottle it and all those things that are just really standard for a new food product. Um, and so that's the way we treated it. it was just it was a completely new food product, a new ingredient. And so we did all the safety testing necessary to do that. Um, and, and, you know, and, you know, we had every expectation that it would be safe, of course, because it was a we started with a safe probiotic bacteria that you already eat every day. And then we all we did was we engineered a gene into that that expresses a protein very similar to the one your body also already makes um, and that you're exposed to every day um, because of all the microbes that probably make this enzyme in your gut anyway. Um, it was really just combining two things together that we knew to be safe. Um, and so there was no expectation that it wouldn't be. But of course, we wanted to make sure that we demonstrated that no weird things happened during that combination. So for like a group of... Um so for other biohackers out there who are maybe working on, you know, different solutions for different problems, can you go into a little bit of detail around like what that actually means to comply and what those tests look like? Like at the granular level, like what are those tests? Is it a list of documents that's published online? Do you have a represent representative like at the FDA or like how does that actually work? Yeah. I mean, so currently and, you know, this is actually in a process of upheaval and change. And I think that's a good thing. But um, currently the way it's done essentially is you do that testing internally 
um, and then you submit the results of your safety testing um, in a dossier. Um, that so a template? Um, there isn't a good template, honestly, and that's part of the problem. I I like the fact that there is movement, you know, and obviously it's the government, so it'll take a long time, but there's movement to formalize um, and, and have more specifications and more requirements that um, I think will get everybody on the same playing field. The supplement industry is kind of a wild west right now. Um, you know, as a reference for us, um, you know, we did uh, – they, they do have guidance. I shouldn't say that there's nothing out there. The FDA does release guidance on the tests, and we went through and we kind of – we checked a lot of boxes uh, on their list on their draft guidance. But you don't necessarily have to do all that, um, and a lot of companies don't. Um, and, and right now, it's kind of like the FDA is like, well, we'll wait and see if there's a problem. You know, it's probably okay, and then usually there isn't. And so that's kind of the way it's done right now. That's how companies like Theranos can get as far as they got. Well, Theranos is a whole different story, but yeah. <laughs> without going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, but that was more about lying to their their investors. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, there there are a lot of really fascinating stories about supplement companies that you know they put these plant extracts into a pill and they say like, oh, it's this nat- it's natural, it's from a plant, um, and you should take it, and it's good for your wellness. And then you know, then people show up to the hospital with like liver toxicity because plants have all kinds of toxins in them, you know, that we, mm. and we don't always know what they do. And so, um, and, and the FDA doesn't really regulate those things very strictly until something happens basically. So for us, it was like, we did a standard battery of in vitro tests, meaning like in a test tube um, uh, to look at like kind of toxicity and mutagenicity of the product in like cell lines and things like that. And then we also um, did a test in rodents um, to demonstrate it was 90 day repeat dose study where we basically gave the probiotic to um, rats for 90 days. And then, you know, we sort of assessed how they were doing and, you know, we took samples and things like that to see that they were healthy the whole time. And they compared that to um, uh, uh, a control uh, group that didn't get any of our product. And, you know, we essentially saw that there was no difference between the two, um, even at doses a hundredfold higher than what we'll be using in our dose. So that's a pretty standard way. And I think that's kind of like the um, one of the kind of gold standard tests that you can do to really demonstrate the product is safe. And so um, if you wanted to go about doing that, you know, you contract out those experiments and then you take all the data from all those experiments, you put it into a dossier and you publish it. And then um, then the FDA can review that, but you can go to market at that point. So, I mean, you're a young guy and you went through Y Combinator, which is a technology accelerator. And I'm sitting in a shared office space with you in one of the trendiest parts of San Francisco. When I think of, um, you know, when I think about your story, I would think you would be in like a lab right now with with beakers and <laughs> test tubes. Yeah. Can you help us understand like where does the actual genetic modification happen when you were working at that stage? Like what tools are you working with when you're changing the codes? Is this something you do on a computer or are you just you putting bubbling potions together? <laughs> just like can you provide a little bit of transparency around the actual process of developing this this type of supplement? Yeah, that's a great question and it's one I like to talk about. I mean, so I am at heart a scientist, you know, not so much I, I think of myself more as the one you described as like what you picture, the scientist in the lab with the beakers than than like kind of the YC guy in the co-working space in the trendy part of San Francisco. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, for the first year, it was just me um, uh, by myself uh, working on on developing this product. It was just an idea. I literally um, would spend the night in the lab a few nights a week just trying to get it, get everything done. And Where was this lab? So at that time, the lab was in, in the city of Berkeley. Um, there was a, It was the same... Uh, operator that's operating the co-working lab. There's actually a lab in the basement of this building, which is where we do our science. But um, 
the same same lab, uh, the same operator, but he moved the lab, uh, co-working lab space here. Uh, but it, yeah, it was basically, um, you know, I had a, a bench, uh, sci- you know, a science bench uh, where I did my experiments. Um, I spent, uh, you know, day and night pretty much just trying to get, get as much out of the small amount of money I had um, to try and make a, a product that worked. And so that was, you know, that was beakers and test tubes. That was what that was. And it was, you know, it was mostly, you know, leveraging stuff that I learned during my PhD um, to try and engineer the bacteria. And so what that really means is, and I think this is probably the interesting part of the question is um, when, when I say we genetically engineered it, I really say, what I mean is that I took a trait or a gene from one organism and I put it into another one. Um, and so that might sound weird or strange, but we've been doing that um, as humans uh, unintentionally for you know, thousands of years uh, via crossbreeding plants. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing is we're taking the traits of, you know, this crispy apple and this juicy apple and we cross them and we hope that the resulting traits we transfer produce a crisp but juicy apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really what we do. And then now we are, and that's leveraging a natural uh, natural process, right? Uh, the plants cross over their DNA naturally. Um, we similarly use a natural process and it's uh, now um, in my lab, and it's called homologous recombination. And um, I'll say that more slowly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's called homologous recombination. Um, and Thank you. It, uh, <laughs> sorry, I say it a lot. Um, and it basically it's even older than plant crossing. Um, it's bacteria evolved this very normal process to exchange genes um, three billion years ago. Um, and essentially, it's much more precise, and it it kind of works like a find and replace. Um, in a Word document. Essentially, there's a, a region of DNA that's identical to the region that you want to replace. And then that signals where specifically the gene's going to insert. And so I take this trait and I put this little find replace tag on it. And then I put it, I just mix it with the bacteria. The bacteria take up the DNA and insert that trait into their own genomes. They do all the work because they've evolved to do it for billions of years. Wow. And so I'm really just like facilitating basically bacteria sex like it's pretty like uh <laughs> you know pretty um straightforward and uh you know and it's not like you know tinkering in a lab it's really just leveraging a different natural process and that's what we did um and so the trick was kind of what genes to replace and where to replace them to get like really nice expression and get the traits we wanted um and so that took a year of hard work but we did it um and at the end we had a product that uh, basically a probiotic bacteria that can break down acetaldehyde the way your liver does so identifying those specific um, elements is that is the proprietary part of the of your solution that you that differentiates you from all the other supplements out there that say they can you know go after hangovers or make you feel better after you know being out late. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's basically well, nobody has ever taken this level of technology to this problem. In fact, nobody's really taken any level of technology to this problem. It's mostly, as I say, kind of random plants and uh, vitamins and stuff. And, you know, I've always said, like, you know, if there was like a plant out there that prevented a hangover, like it wouldn't take till 2019 for us to find it. Right. Mm. Like we would know about it. And, you know, it's like um, so it required a specific solution. And so, yeah, we went and we engineered it. And that's the differentiator is that we made something using enzymes um, that uh, replicates a natural biological function um, in, in an area of your body where the where the problem arises. And so that's really the differentiator. So genetic modification historically has gotten a bad rap. You know, I think about even walking down, um, you know, even walking down like certain streets in San Francisco, 
the Chinese places will have like no GMO on signs out front. Is there a bigger conversation to be had around genetic modification? And is there some education around what that can mean and maybe how it could be used for, you know, in po- positive lights as it relates to new products and, and technologies? Absolutely. I mean, that is fundamentally, you like basically summed up our mission. I mean, the mission for Zbiotics is to demonstrate the value of genetic engineering and, gen- and GMOs um, to the consumer um, or to really just to, to people. It doesn't necessarily need to be our consumers. Um, to people, uh, both by making products uh, and by presenting information. Um, and so we think that it's we're very passionate about that. It's super important um, because the fact is that genetic engineering is critical um, for to sustain humanity uh, in a responsible and sustainable way. Um, you know, sustainability and uh, humane treatment of animals is not something that's typically associated with genetic engineering or GMOs, but in fact, that's exactly what it's for. Um, you know, as an example, um, you know, human insulin is something, you know, that's, that's a small uh, peptide that or protein essentially that um, diabetics have to inject in themselves every day. And until about 40 years ago, um, we got insulin from pigs and cows. Um, and so I wrote down a few like statistics, like back in the late 70s, essentially like these factories were, they were just massive factories um, where they had all these pigs. Um, And they had lines of train cars full of frozen pancreases. And they would isolate the enzyme from the pancreases um, from these pigs. Um, And it would take 23,000 pancreases to make one pound of insulin. And so that resulted in 56 million animals per year that that we were using just to crank out insulin, right? I mean, that's a ton Mm. of – sorry, can we cuss on this? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a shit ton. It <laughs> is um, <laughs> a shit ton of pigs. Yeah, it's a shit ton of pigs, right? And, like, uh, not only is that massively inefficient, it's also inhumane and it's uh, not sustainable, right? And, like, as we increase the number of people who are diabetic, um, as the population increases, we could never have kept up. And so what we did instead was we engineered a bacteria uh, to make human insulin. It was less allergenic than the one that was... Uh, extracted from the animal, it was, and it was way it, massively more efficient. Um, and it was a feat of genetic engineering, right? And it saved lives, and it, and it created way more sustainable practices. And the same is true for for a lot of the things we're doing these days um, with genetic engineering. We're making, for instance, we can, you know, people are working on making meat and fish uh, uh, using cells rather than whole animals, um, and so growing them essentially in fermenters, like, you know, something the size of a car could replace a huge cattle farm. Um, and that uses way less resources and it's way more humane. Is that and, like the Impossible Burger? Yeah. Well, Impossible Burger is interesting because they're not quite um, alternative meat. They're, they engin- they did use genetic engineering in a really cool way. So it's GMO. It's GMO. Okay. And it's awesome, I think. Um, it, uh-huh. They basically engineered like soy to, or wait, no, excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> they basically engineered yeast to make a a version of iron that tastes a lot like meat. Mm. Um, and so they took these yeast. And so rather than like using blood from an animal, right, which people would never do to put it into a veggie burger, right, like they engineered yeast to make something that tastes like blood. Uh, and they put it in there and it made a burger really, really tasty. Um, and, and it's awesome. It's such a creative thing to do. Um, and it, it's way more sustainable uh, than killing animals uh, or, and growing the animals and then killing them, right? And so um, I think that, Genetic engineering is a way we we feed uh, a growing population of people more sustainably. We can make stress-resistant crops that are more nutritious. Like there's 
they genetically engineered rice um, to express vitamin A um, to be grown in third world countries where their people are vitamin A deficient. Um, and this golden rice, they called it, um, essentially was a way to provide more nutrients to a population of people who didn't have access to like, you know, a ton of carrots and whatever other normal things that um, we use in uh, in this country to get vitamin A. And so like these are like really positive applications of genetic engineering, but you never really get to hear about them. You just get to see the non-GMO butterfly on your labels in the supermarket and just assume for some reason that they're bad. But despite the fact that there's a ton of data showing that GMOs are no less safe than, um, than conventionally grown foods and they use way less resources and, um, you know, provide sustainable growth for humanity, um, you know, they're not yet being embraced. And so that's a huge mission and passion for Zbiotics. And that's kind of why we started. I know it seems kind of silly, right? They were using, with all these things I'm talking about, that we're using genetic engineering to make something for you to not feel so bad the next day after drinking. But the point is to meet people where they are in kind of their everyday lives and right and, and have something, have a benefit for people that they can experience for themselves and really feel the effect of. It's not something that you take my word for, like, gut wellness or anti-aging. It's something that you wake up the next day and you either feel like crap or you don't, right? And so there's a very clear uh, readout of efficacy for the consumer and benefit. And so then they see that, I hope, and they, you know, and then that's an opportunity for us to say, like, that's a positive experience of genetic engineering. And there's so many cool things we can do with it. And so that's the idea, is sort of being an ambassador for this really cool tech. Well, I'm getting some samples before I leave, <laughs> and my wife and I have plans to meet some friends for drinks. So Good. I will, uh, yeah, I'll be a, a firsthand testament for first this. and foremost. It's got to work, or <laughs> else nobody's going to care, right? So <laughs> yeah. we had to make something good. So do you take it before you drink, while you're drinking, before you go to bed? Like, what's the ideal um, use case? Yeah, ideal use case. I mean, so we're talking about a live microbe that you eat, and it has to go through your stomach and get in your gut, and then when it's in there, it start makes starts making this enzyme that breaks down acetaldehyde. Um, and so ideally, you have that ready to go when you're drinking. Because when you drink, the alcohol goes into your gut, and the microbes that naturally live there already often turn that alcohol into acetaldehyde. And then you get this big buildup of acetaldehyde in your gut. So it's good for the bacteria to be there when you start drinking. So ideally, I personally take it with my first drink of the night. And okay. so then it's working the whole time I'm drinking and also while I'm sleeping to break down that acetaldehyde that's being formed as your body breaks down the alcohol. Can you OD on this stuff? Or like, if is there like a, 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 a dosage that is equivalent to how much alcohol you're going to drink that night? So if you have a bigger night, you drink more of it? Or how does the dosage work? Yeah, so the way we worked it out was essentially that you know, because so many probiotics that are on the market today have advertised like 10 billion or 50 billion or 100 billion CFU, and that's kind of how they measure how many bacteria are in there. And since the bacteria for us are not really the interesting part, the bacteria are really just the factory. It's the enzyme they're making that's important. We actually, we actually can deliver um, a lot less bacteria, um, and so we're we're actually giving 10 to 100 fold less than your standard dose of probiotics. Um, and, and that 10 to 10 fold less is actually tenfold more than you would ever need. Um, cause you actually, the thing about acetaldehyde is that it's really, really toxic. Your body is not actually exposed to that much of it, but just that small dose is what creates all the problems. And so by using a, a relatively small amount of bacteria, we can eliminate way more acetaldehyde than you could ever be exposed to. You would die of alcohol poisoning long before you would exceed the, the amount of acetaldehyde that the bacteria could break down. So I guess the short answer is like one dose is good for one night, regardless if it's a small night or a big night. And you can take a hundredfold more than what we're putting in one dose and uh, and you would still be it would still be safe. So 
Um, and you have some really sophisticated investors behind you. I mean, you've taken money from Social Capital, Y Combinator, Kosla. So, I mean, these guys got to have a lot of conviction around the space. Um, as you start thinking about, you know, deploying some of this capital and, and going to market, you know, I know you guys are trying to figure out the best approach because it very much is a direct consumer, you know, uh, value proposition. What are some of the channels you guys are looking at to get the product in people's hands? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, this is an area we're still kind of exploring uh, and trying to get the right answer to. And I think this is the the crucial part, right? Like, you know, as a scientist, I very naively thought that if I built something that was awesome, like that would be the end of it. Um, but as I've learned, it's, you know, you got to have a good product, but you also have to have a good marketing strategy and you got to have, have people believe you that it's a good product. So, you know, I think there's a lot of credibility issues in the space, right? I mean, you know, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, products for drinking are kind of thought of as snake oil and, and, and frankly, a lot of them are. Um, and so it's very difficult to kind of differentiate ourselves. And so we really want to control the experience that the consumer has of our brand. So we talked about Impossible Burger earlier, um, and they're a really great example. So, you know, they had this new veggie burger, the veggie burger that bleeds, and they claimed that it was the best veggie burger ever. But if you just told me that, I'd never really think much of it. But they proved it to everybody by exclusively launching um, at this premier restaurant in New York called Momofuku with this Michelin star-rated chef. Um, and so that really caught everybody's attention, right? They probably only sold like, uh, like, you know, whatever, like a thousand burgers, like over the course of a month or whatever, at most, or I don't know how much they sold, but not very many, right? As a, uh, but they created this really like amazing credibility. And so I think that's what we want to do. And we're still trying to figure out how to do that. This is a social product for people to use together when they're out celebrating and having a good time. Um, special occasions is I think an area where we're targeting where people will really kind of see the obvious benefit of the product. Um, and it's a matter of how we target those people. And so, you know, we want to have online sale so that people can come and learn about the product. But uh, at the same time, it's not really the way people currently engage with their social lives is they don't go online and order products for three days in advance for their drinking behaviors typically. And so that's something we're still working on, I think. And I think, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of uh, trying to think of creative solutions to solve that problem, to meet the customer where they are. I think, um, you know, one thing that I – one supplement that I took for a while uh, was the charcoal pills um, because I forget where I heard it, but it was, it was an, influence, an influencer who was talking about how it could, you know, help with the, uh, the problems that, you know, staying out too late or dehydration could, could bring to you. Um, so I think, and I, and I knew a lot of other people had heard about it around the same time. So I think there is a strategy there, but it comes down to get those people to start talking about it. And then I told everyone I knew. So like when I was out, I would bring them to the bar. I would bring charcoal pills. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I think it's that type of conviction that once you guys hit it, if the product really works, which I will test tonight, uh, yeah. <laughs> then I think, I think, you know, you're Customer acquisition costs will go down. The virality, you know, uh, coefficient will go up. So I think those are the types of things that you guys are are going to be looking for. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think that like you know, influencers are a big thing for us. I think you know, I think that you know, I can talk to them blue in the face and maybe convince you in twenty minutes. But if your friend says like, "Hey, take this. It's cool." Like, done. Game over. Right. Two yeah. seconds and you're done it. And so, uh, and you're right. And like, you exactly the type of, pers- type of person we're trying to to hit. The person who goes out and like tells their friend, like evangelizes to their friends. They're the one who like like calls everybody up to get them to come to a bar, like to go have a good time out. Like they're the ones planning the events, kind of like the party planner of the group. Like that person is the one we want to target because 
we prove that we prove to them that our product is good and it works, then they'll do they'll tell their friends about it. And then, you know, because then now they're the person who gets to save all their friends next mornings. Right. And like that's a really great place to be. Yeah. So that's kind of what, what we're trying to do. And so it's a matter of kind of how do we target those people? How do we convince those people the product is great? Um, those types of things. So where are you guys at? Um, as it relates to your go-to-market, um, so you've gotten all the approvals that you needed, you've needed, and your testing requirements have been met. Um, can people buy this stuff yet? Or are you pre-launch, or where exactly are you at on yeah, that roadmap? Yeah, so right now we're we're pre-launch, um, and so the reason for that is so we have done all the necessary testing to prove the product is safe uh, and that we can and that we can sell it, um, but we're still in the process of publishing the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as that data is published. Um, that's pretty much the major bottleneck. We're finalizing manufacturing, but that's pretty well wrapped up and those types of things. And so um, it's mostly just making sure that we have all of our T's crossed and all of our lowercase J's dotted um, to make sure that we can um, bring the product to market um, in a way that is, you know, all buttoned up in a regulatory sense. So we're hoping to launch basically, you know, middle middle of June. Um, so it's just a few months away, hopefully. Um, and, and, you know, in the meantime, we're just kind of gearing up and figuring out how we're going to message and market it in an effective way. Where can people learn more? Where can they find you online or find more about Zbiotics online? Yeah, I mean zbiotics.com is really the best place. It's, you know, we're currently revamping the website, um, but you know, there's a lot of really cool information and a lot of blog pieces, so kind of went on a tangent, uh, you know, got my soapbox about GMOs a little bit and <laughs> you can read about all that, but you can also read about how the product works and how we built it and kind of, you know, what we think about different stuff. Uh, it's all there. Zach, you're a super smart guy. I've loved this conversation. I'm really looking forward to tracking you here over the next few months. And um, I'll uh, let you know how it goes tonight. I can't wait to hear it, man. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you. (laughs) 